You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if we go back to that section in chapter 15, um, the cutting of a covenant, our summary sentence for that week was, we are given assurance that the promises of God will always find their fulfillment in God's glory and our good, even if it's not always in the ways and timing we would choose. Um, and that's that's definitely been a, a point of emphasis, I think, hopefully, over the past month and a half, is that God has promises in place, and he's going to work those promises out for his glory, for the good of his children, but it's not always in the ways or in the time that we would choose or like. Um, Abraham and Sarah are having to reconcile that year after year after year, wanting things to work out at a, at a different point in time, it not working out that way, and really having to wait upon God and his timing, God knowing the exact time for some of these things to happen. Um, in that week, we talked about God's glory dictates his timing, um, that he was waiting until Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead before he actually allowed them to conceive and have children. Um, he also communicates to Abraham that he's not going to let him into the land and not going to let them dwell in the land and kick people out of the land until their evil reaches the, the maximum point that he'll tolerate. And so um, God is communicating timing to Abraham and Sarah and his perfect timing is why he waits. And so the application for that week, the question that I asked you is there, is there any timing in your life that you're currently discontent with? Anything that you feel like you're waiting on God to do that he hasn't done yet and it potentially is leading towards discontentment, that we want to be reminded of God's perfect timing, that God doesn't, God doesn't um, delay without purpose. Um, and so he communicates some of that to Abraham. Um, we then looked the next week at uh, believing that God saves. Specifically, Abraham believed in that covenant and God counted it to him as righteousness. Our summary sentence Abraham's salvation fully rests in the belief he expressed in God's ability and reliability to do what he promised to do, even when the natural circumstances around him seem to indicate otherwise. So Abraham is saved. The Bible says that he believed or he um, leaned his whole weight upon. He believed God's promises and God counted or credited his account with righteousness um, we said that Abraham believed that God commu- what God communicated to him, and God considered Abram righteous based on the future work of Christ. Um, Abraham specifically is believing in God's ability or his power to do what he promised, and his reliability, his faithfulness to do what he promised as well. Um, our application from that week, we must express initial belief in God that leads to a continued belief in the great promises of God despite the various trials we may encounter today believing instead in the better things to come. So our salvation rests in our belief in God. And then our salvation continues throughout our life because of our continued belief in God. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit who, who is so influential in keeping us to believe. But our, our salvation never stops in regards to believing. We're constantly believing in God to do what he's promised to do. That led us into discussing the the momentary distrust between Abraham and Sarah regarding God's timing when it leads them to kind of take things into their own hands. Our summary sentence from that, that week, God's call upon believers to express faith in him is oftentimes an attack on our selfish tendencies to want gratification immediately, meaning that faith is ultimately a lesson in patience. Okay, so... Sarah, Abraham get a little tired of waiting, and so they start to try to manipulate the situation and, and make things happen 
uh, on their own will. And so Hagar's brought into the situation, let's have Hagar bear the child. And then that leads, obviously, to envy and strife and jealousy between Hagar and Sarah. Uh, Hagar's not innocent in the situation, you'll remember. We saw that she kind of does some things, even though it's not specifically laid out. She does some things to incite uh, Sarah's envy, and so it leads to strife between those two. There's separation, um, and then God goes and gets Hagar and brings her back. We're reminded in that chapter that ultimately God is the source of life. He opens and closes the womb. His delays are not always his denials. Um, He had full intent to give Sarah a child, but not until the timing was right. Um, Some implications that we walked away from that that week. Resolving situations in haste without seeking godly counsel often leads to problems that are not easily solvable. Um, So if we walk away from that chapter, I think we're reminded that if we start making decisions in haste, big decisions, things that... Uh, are tied to our trust in God. Oftentimes, if we make hasty decisions without seeking godly counsel, it can create situations, it can create problems that are not easily solvable. We highlighted the fact that the offspring of Hagar through Ishmael has continued to lead to strife between Israel and the Arab nations, all as a result of that distrust in that moment of weakness for both Abraham and Sarah. Um, We then saw the next week how God sees us in our distress. And so Hagar, while she's a minor character in this story, uh, there's a whole section devoted to her as God goes and gets her, identifies the fact that he sees her needs, understands her her frustrations and her desires and her wants and her fears, and and basically communicates himself as the great provider for her. Um, in, In that week we talked about particularly in times of great distress, believers should pray to the Lord. Because he hears the afflicted, he understands their particular needs, and he fulfills relevant promises. And so God communicates great things to Hagar, even though she's a minor character in the overall story of Abraham and his family. And then the next week we looked at the almighty God of the impossible. Our summary sentence for that week, God reveals himself as a sovereign, omnipotent being that is fully capable of fulfilling the great plans that he promises to his children. Uh, the application for that week, we must trust that God is mighty all of the time, whenever, whether he delivers from evil or works evil for good. And so while we see Abraham and Sarah's situation turn out in the way that they ultimately desired, that they're going to have a child together and, and God's going to fulfill his promises in that way, oftentimes we don't have guaranteed promises like that. We know that God plans to do good. We're not guaranteed that God's going to give us a child. We're not guaranteed that God's going to give us a spouse. We're not guaranteed that God is going to allow us to stay in the house that we're currently in. We're not guaranteed that God's going to allow us to stay in the job that we're currently in. We're promised that he's going to provide and take care of, but we're not always uh, assured as to how he's going to do those things. Okay, Um, but if we fail to have a child, if we're a married couple that's never had children, desired to have children, and God just continues to deny the opening of the womb, it doesn't communicate his lack of ability or power to do such things. Um, We're reminded that God is just as powerful and just as um, glorious when he works through situations that look like denial. So if he can take a couple that desire to have children and never give them children, but allow them to become so content in his goodness without a child, he's just as glorious, and he's just as powerful, okay? So he's good, and he's powerful, and he does the impossible, even if it's not always in the ways that we think he would need to do that. Um, Last week, we saw that nothing is too hard for God. 
that God makes great and precious promises to us and expects us to believe every one of them because nothing is too difficult for him to accomplish. You remember the visitors are having the conversation with Abraham. They're talking about the fact that Sarah's going to give birth in a year and Sarah laughs about it and questions how this could be possible. How could she, who has reached an age where it's impossible medically for her to have children, not only was she infertile during the years of childbearing, she is now past the the years of childbearing. How could she possibly bear children? And you'll remember that that Jesus, who we believe to be the pre-incarnate Jesus in that situation, says nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for him. So God makes promises, and he expects us to believe them. Because he's a God who's revealed himself in scripture as, as being a God where nothing is too hard for him to do. Our normal response in impossible situations is to look for human solutions. Abraham tried to bring in his adopted servant to be the heir. He tried to bring Hagar in to be the pseudo mom for his child. Nothing is impossible with God we've seen in scripture. God possesses both the will and the power to fulfill his promises We said last week as well, God works in impossible situations to magnify his grace and to keep us in our humble place. So our application for last week is that we must seek faith to believe that God can work through any circumstance we deem too difficult for him. Okay, so we concluded last week talking about scenarios and situations in our own life that we maybe question sometimes whether God is going to do what he's promised to do. Um, and we, we, wrote through, we wrote through some of those things on the Padlet that we looked at last week. Some things that we sometimes doubt whether God's going to accomplish in our life. Um, and so I told you last week that the answer in Scripture is that we seek faith to believe these promises. And we seek faith. Faith comes through hearing. Okay, So we have to hear, we have to ingest God's word so that we can then increase our belief and trust in the things that he promises to do. Um, in, in kind of wrapping up the past couple of weeks, I wanted to look specifically at first Peter chapter two. I'm going to show you how it kind of ties into what we've been talking about here, um, in just a second. If you study first Peter chapter, or really if you study first Peter, I think you start to pick up on the fact that Peter had been studying Psalm chapter 34 prior to writing first peter there's a couple of reasons i would say that uh he seems to well in one situation he directly quotes from psalm chapter 34 but in first peter chapter 2 he seemingly has psalms 34 on his mind when he when he's writing let me read to you psalm chapter 34 this is a psalm of david it says i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. 
The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from the evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In First Peter chapter 3, I think it is. Yep. In verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil let his lip, and his lips from speaking deceit. He goes on to quote directly from Psalm chapter 34 there in First Peter chapter 3. But back in First Peter chapter 2, which is what's on the screen for you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Back in Psalm 34, he says in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Before we even like look at this, I think it, it, it bears mentioning that when Peter is writing to teach and to encourage these believers that he's writing to here in First Peter, he does so by drawing upon a reservoir of knowledge of Scripture. Right? So, so he's inspired. He's speaking truth. And, and in some cases, it's new truth that's being further and, and more fully revealed in the New Testament. But oftentimes, our New Testament writers are simply pulling from Old Testament knowledge. This is a great example of him speaking truth and encouragement to the believers here in the New Testament and drawing upon what he's previously studied in his life. And so it, it bears encouragement to us that when we speak to others and we seek to encourage others and, and potentially disciple and teach others, that it has to flow from a, from a prior knowledge of Scripture, that we pull from that reservoir um, of things that we've learned and things that we've grown up in. Okay, so, so Peter is pulling from Psalm 34 here. And he says to put away some things, and he gives us a, a plan or a course of action for how to do these things. Now, the reason I've highlighted this verse um, for a couple of reasons. One, here at the beginning, uh, the things that he talks about putting away, I think, are some of the things that we've seen come out in some of the narrative that we've been looking at between Abraham, Sarah, and other key players that have been played a, that, that have played a part in their story. Um, Right off the bat, we look here and we see, um, all right, so it talks about putting away malice. It talks about putting away deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. All right, these are things that, that should not be true about a Christian um, for some reasons. And he tells us back here at the very beginning of chapter 2, so... For this reason. So if you were to back up and if you've got your Bibles, you can look there. If you back up to the end of chapter 1, 
Peter, we get the part of the chapter 2 talking about the so. At the end of chapter 1, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, so Peter's talking about the fact that as Christians we're born again. You'll remember last week we said that part of what God is doing in how he's bringing Isaac into being is that he's showing that the promised child uh, comes into being through supernatural means. Okay, that you have a you have two uh, reproductively dead individuals that come together, and God allows them to have a child supernaturally. In the New Testament, we see Jesus come on the scene supernaturally, and then we understand Jesus starts to communicate with Nicodemus this idea of of being born again and how it's a spiritual birth. That the offspring of Abraham are not those that simply come from Abraham and Sarah; they are those that have been born again that can be grafted into that relationship. Okay, so there's, there's a supernatural aspect to what it means to be born again. All right, and so Peter says, because you've been born again, because you've been born again with the imperishable seed of God's word, put away these things. All right, and we've seen some of these, uh, these old, old character traits, these old ways, these sinful habits come out in our story. We've seen um, some malicious behavior. We've seen that between Sarah and how that played out with Hagar. We've seen deceit, right? We've seen uh, deceit by Abraham and Sarah when they went down to Egypt. And there was fear about how their, their lives would play out there in Egypt. And so there was deceit about who she was and, and how she was related to Abraham. Um, we've seen envy uh, between, uh, between Sarah uh, over the fact that Hagar did have a child. All right, so, so these are some things that we've seen in our own story. We see this in the New Testament. We're to put these things away. And we're told specifically, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. And we're told this for a specific reason, that we may grow up into salvation. All right? We understand this to mean that, that we're to long for God's word, that the word that allowed us to be born again in chapter 1 that we're born again through the imperishable seed of God's word. Like newborn infants, we're to desire the pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up into salvation. And then I want to make this connection for us here at the end of this verse. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's using this illustration of milk, and he's talking about us tasting the milk. And the taste of the milk is that the Lord is good. So what does that mean? It means that for us to put away some of these habits, some of these, these character traits, some of these things that are, that are not supposed to be part of us now that we're born again, is that it comes through growing up in salvation in God's word. Okay, so put away malice, put away deceit, put away hypocrisy, put away envy, put away slander. Like newborn infants who have been born again, grow up in your salvation. How? By, by drinking in God's word, by drinking in the milk. And you're drinking it in properly if you're tasting that the Lord is good. 
What that means is, is that our time in God's word has to move us to seeing that the Lord is good. That's the purpose of being in God's word. Okay, we don't just read God's word, check it off and say, okay, I've done my spiritual discipline for the day. I read some chapters. Your time in God's word is fruitful and productive if it's leading you to see that the Lord is good. Okay, we, 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 want, we want to believe God's promises. We want to grow up in our faith. We do that by the deeper, deeper knowledge that we come to that the Lord is good in our life. All these other, these character traits that he's talking about putting away, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, those things come out in our life when we doubt that the Lord is good. Right? When we see these play out in Abraham and Sarah's life, they, they are these type of things because they're doubting that the Lord is good in their life. Okay, they don't, they don't know that God's going to protect them. So they, they fall into deceit and they want to confuse Pharaoh about who Sarah is so that their lives can be spared. Sarah isn't content with the fact that God is doing something in Hagar's life and not her life. So she becomes envious of, of God's good work in Hagar's life and the perceived lack of work in her own life. She's not trusting in the Lord's goodness. Okay, so we put away these things. We, we identify some of these things in Abraham and Sarah's life. We say, hey, we want to we learn from those, those failures. We want to learn from those mistakes. We want to grow up in our own faith. We want to believe God's promises and not just say we believe them, right? Like you were talking about, we want to make uh, just choices and decisions on a daily basis that reflect that we really believe the promises of God. And the promises of God are that he is good to us. That he has good intent for us as his children. Um, so I wanted to encourage you, because of what we talked about last week, that when, when we, we hear on a Sunday morning that God is good and God has made promises, we, we want to believe those things, and we, and we believe them up here, but that doesn't always translate to our hearts on a daily basis. And so the challenge last week was, let's increase our faith. Let's pursue a deeper faith. How do we do that? Well, we spend time in God's Word, but not just opening up somewhere and spending some time in God's word and expecting it to magically transform us. That we go to God's word with the intent of seeing him as a good God. He's revealed himself that way in scripture. He's revealed himself as a, as a Lord who is good. And he invites us to come and to taste and to see that he's good. We do that by spending time in his word, but doing so with a purposeful mindset that we come to God's word to see his goodness and we identify his goodness wherever we're reading, wherever we're studying. You know, we could say, well, when are we going to get done with Genesis? When are we going to move on to another chapter? At some point we will. At some point we'll move on to a different book. But what we're going to see is the exact same things we're seeing in the book of Genesis. It doesn't really matter where we're studying. We're going to continue to see that the Lord is good. He's good in Genesis. He was good in Philippians. He was good in First and Second Thessalonians. He was good in Jonah. He's a good God, and he reveals himself that way in all of Scripture, and he invites us to come and taste and see that. So, so my, my big point of emphasis, looking back over the past several weeks, is I want to point you in this direction of, of drinking in God's Word so that, so that we can increase our faith and trust in His promises, so that we can really believe and see that He is good. So that we can glory in him in whatever trial we face, in whatever circumstance we face. Because remember, God promised Abraham, he says, here's some promises, but things are going to be tough leading up to those promises. Your people are going to be in bondage and slavery for 400 years. We talked about that in the New Testament. God's made promises to us. 
He's gone to prepare a place for us. Jesus is coming back. We're going to get glorified bodies. But he also says, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer until that happens. So we want to make sure that we're believing in God's goodness, even when maybe circumstances would say otherwise. Even when maybe his timing in our minds would say otherwise. That we're so invested in the truth that he's good to us. That he's made promises to us. And we can increase our faith and trust in those promises the more we drink his word and drink it with the intent of tasting it. Tasting it and really savoring it. For parents, you you may have had the conversation with your kids for them to slow down when they eat and to enjoy their meal. Uh, We have to have this conversation with AJ all the time. When he he orders a drink at a restaurant, uh, he wants to just down it and be done with it. Um, And then, you know, we try to explain to him, you're not going to get another one, buddy. Like, you you get one. Um, he's very quick to just drink it and not really enjoy it. If we're not careful, we approach God's word that way, right? We say, okay, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to read God's word, so I'm going to get up. I'm going to read his word, but I'm not going to really enjoy it. I'm not going to really taste it. And I think what Peter would have us to to know this morning is that we're to desire it, we're to drink from it, but we're to taste it if it's going to have effect in our life. We have to come to God's word with the intent of seeing him as a good God. If we just come to arbitrarily read it, it doesn't change us. We were having a conversation with some of the men this past week at our Man Up breakfast. We were talking about how the Holy Spirit illuminates us when we read Scripture. That a lost person can read it, and a lost person can theoretically understand Scripture. Sometimes we maybe mistakenly think that only Christians can understand Scripture. A lost person can understand Scripture. They, it's, not, it's not written on such a high level or such a spiritual level that a, a lost person can understand it. What a lost person fails to see, it fails in his heart to connect the truth that he's reading with the goodness of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us as believers. The Holy Spirit takes God's word, we, we, we read it, we ingest it, we taste it, and he reveals to us the goodness of God in the midst of reading and studying his word. Um, and that's unique to a believer um, because Only an unbeliever would read that and walk away like the rich young ruler who says, the things that I possess are greater than the things that you're offering me. A believer says, this is the best thing that I could ever have. The Lord is good, and I want to continue to taste and see his goodness in my life. Okay, so I hope as as we continue to move forward through Genesis, we keep coming back to this idea of God's promises. I want to see you as, as, as members here at Sovereign Hope. I want to see your faith and trust increase in God's word and his goodness. And, and the only way that happens is for us to taste and see that he's good through his word. Father, we come to you this morning again. And Lord, we do praise you and thank you for the promises that we have seen over the past several weeks in scripture. We're thankful for Abraham and for Sarah for the narrative that you've given us as we get to look back and see some detailed accounts of their life and how um, at times their their faith was was really stretched and at times they didn't always respond like they should have but father we're thankful that the pattern that we see is that when you're at work in the lives of two individuals you are working to increase their faith And Father, we can look over the course of their life and see that their faith continues to increase. And God, we have that same hope for ourselves. Um, As we sit here today and we reflect, God, I know that it would be easy for us to focus and, and think heavily about the mistakes and the sins that we continue to commit. 
But Father, we are thankful this morning that we celebrate Jesus, who is the perfect lamb, who has been slaughtered on our behalf to forgive all of our sins and all of our failures. So Father, we rejoice over the fact that whether we've really strived for holiness this this week or if we've really uh, messed up and and really demonstrated a, a lack of faith at times this week, we know that we both come celebrating a Jesus who has forgiven us of those sins. And Father, we're thankful that Christ has come to be perfect for us. But God, we do come with the expectation and hope that as we continue to grow in our faith, that you are going to supernaturally allow us to put away sinful mindsets. Whether it's malice and deceit and envy and slander or a whole other list of sins that characterize us. God, we know that they're all rooted in a lack of belief in you and a lack of trust in your goodness. God, I pray that our time in the word, whether it's when we're with a group of people from our church studying and talking, or whether it's individually on our own, God, that our time in the word would would be um, an environment where we are tasting and seeing that you're good that you would use that, that taste of, of your goodness to increase our faith and trust in your promises. So that as, as we face trials, as we face circumstances that are not desirable, we are reminded of your goodness in those circumstances. Father, we thank you for the chance to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. We're thankful for the reminder of our salvation. I pray that by partaking we would be encouraged both personally and corporately as a church family as we, as we get to see others that are also making that same confession, that we have tasted and seen that you are good and that we are seeking to grow up in our salvation and to put away the old man as we continually put on the new. So God, I pray that you would encourage us this morning by partaking. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.